Amen. Good morning, Calvary. How are you? Good morning to our podcast listeners as well. Um, so thankful that you are here uh, after, I'm sure, a late night for many of you. is probably early came morning. As, uh, early came morning. <laughs> morning came early. But we're continuing our series on the soul today. And I love um, that we sang the hymns today because when I think of the hymns, some people love the hymns, some people don't love the hymns. But here's what I would say. The, the songs that we sing aren't really about you. They're just not. They're, they're designed to stir your soul to respond to God. And so sometimes we sing contemporary songs around here, if you want to call it that, because we want to reach people and have it stir their soul. And sometimes we sing hymns, but it's really not about you. One of my favorite songs of all times was the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. In the middle of that um, song, that hymn, he's writing, he's, he's just lost his loved ones, and his family has um, been destroyed through a shipwreck. He said, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever I long for, it is well with my soul. It is well. And I think the key to that, the, the place that allows us to be there, is when we come to a, an understanding of what it looks like to have a whole spirit. So in doing that, I want to set up one caveat before we start, one little sidebar, because the soul is a very difficult subject matter to discuss. The word psych or soul is used 105 times in the New Testament, and it's not always used in the same way. In fact, in Matthew 22, 37 through 38, it says this, he said to them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. Now, these are the words of Jesus. This is a very important verse. And the soul he's describing here is with all of your being. So I'm not discounting from this verse at all. I'm saying the way that we're going to look at soul today is different than the way Jesus used it in this context. Does that make sense? So when you read the word soul in the New Testament, it's not always going to mean what, the way I'm going to express it today, but it does a lot of the time. And the way that we're looking at it is the way that Paul used it and the way Jesus used it sometimes in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, when it says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here Paul is clearly distinguishing between the spirit, the soul, and the body. And we define soul this way, and it's used in this context, where it's where the heart and the mind meet. It's the seat of our feelings, desires, and affections. So it may look something like this. Let's look at the order of the body, mind, and soul, the body, soul, and spirit. Here's what it is. All the things that contain the body are plants, animals, and humans. Do flowers have a body? Yes. How do I know? I can hold the flower. <laughs> it's a living thing. It reaches towards the sun. You water it. it, has, it a flower has a body. But it, a flower does not have a soul. Things that respond to emotions, some animals and all humans have souls. And the, the spirit are things that are made in the image of God and is reserved for human beings only. This is what makes us to be in relationship with God. Now let me show you uh, another way to explain this. Okay, let's go to the next slide. Another way of seeing the whole picture is the spirit is the life principle bestowed on humans by God. It's what gives us our dignity. So every single person in this room has a spirit. And the spirit 
is designed to house the Holy Spirit. It's the seat. You can go back and listen to this sermon from two weeks ago if you're confused. You can, it's the place where the Holy Spirit is made to dwell. Okay? The body is a material organism controlled by the soul and the spirit that will one day cease to exist. This is just a tent. My, uh, my soul and my spirit live in the home of this tent. But the soul is the resulting unique and individual life that is granted to us by the Spirit. In other words, our spirits look very similar, but our soul is what makes you, you. It's where your personality dwells. It's where your emotions dwell. It's, it's the idea, that's where we get the word psyche from. It's the, it's the understanding of who you are. That's how he uses it in this context. And so when you understand that, it begins to make sense. This is what we do around our life. We, we chase after filling our soul, our, our individuality, with the things that we long for. Let me put it to you like this way. We get in trouble a lot because our souls are wrecked in our society. <laughs> Can you admit that? Anxiety, depression, loneliness, just to name a few. We're all longing for our individuality to be met and cherished and loved. And apart from understanding that it is made in the dignity of the Spirit and finding our value by allowing our soul to... Well, let me put it to you like this. There are a few things I want you to know about the soul. First, your soul can be seen and observed. Can someone see your emotions? You bet they can. You know, you ever have somebody walk up to you and go, Hey, how are you doing? Fine. Really? Because you look like you're doing fine. I am. Why? Well, because you, you're just not, you wear your emotions. You wear your personality. You're, the extroverts are, you know, that's part of your soul. The extroverts, yay. Introverts, I won't make you raise your hand, don't worry. Um, th that reality of what it's like to look like and go around, and, and, and somehow we want that to be fit in, and we want someone to find us and, and find our value, but your soul can be seen and observed. The second thing I want you to see about your uh, soul is God created our souls to respond, not lead. The danger is when we get that mixed up. Because our soul, not housed with the Holy Spirit, in our spirit, will lead us to dangerous places. You know how I know we sang it? Prone to wander, Lord, I... We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Do you know what a sheep is? It's a very stupid animal. Now, if you grew up in my house and you lived, my youngest son used to have a saying, Dad, we don't say stupid, we say chubby. He got that word mixed up with another word we don't say. Um, you'll get it later. But the idea is, okay, we don't say stupid usually, but except that that's what sheep are. You know why? Because sheep just start grazing. Um, 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 um. Oh, there's green grass. There's green grass. There's green grass. Green grass, 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 green grass. How did I end up over there? I don't know. And that's the reality of how we get off track because our instincts, our, our soul is like a sheep that will go wherever our impulses say to take us. And when your impulses take you to go where they want to go, it's not going to usually be to a good place. So in 1 Peter 2.25, it says this, You were like sheep going astray. But now I've returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your souls. God looks down and he says, I know where you need to go. Now stay here. But I want to go over there. No, don't go over there. 
stay here. Stay and follow me. You are to be my disciple. You know what a disciple is? A disciple is someone who disciplines their life to do what the— the, you know what's a discipline? Stuff you don't want to do. No one ever sits there and goes, I get to discipline myself. Woo! Now, discipline is making yourself go to the gym when you don't want to. Discipline is not eating the fourth piece of pizza— when you really should have stopped it too. No, I'm just saying, discipline is the reality that we have to sometimes make ourselves do the things that we don't want to do. Our soul goes, go this way, because our soul is stupid. Apart from the Holy Spirit, apart from God intervening, our soul leads us down a path of destruction to brokenness, and then we don't feel whole. It's resulted in our society having a bunch of people going wherever they want to go. And we've bought into this mantra, I feel, therefore I am. And I feel, therefore, I am is a dangerous way to leave, live because it leads our society down a dangerous path. And so it's this idea, I feel like I can run through that brick wall. I, I just feel like I can. You know what happens when you run through the brick wall? You get hurt. Now, let me just caution you right now because some of you are going, that's absolutely right. And that group of people needs to hear that. That person needs to hear it. My spouse better be listening, Right? Forget that. Forget what everybody else is saying. Forget pointing to everybody else and listen to what I'm saying. It's about you and me. Because the likelihood of you going someplace you shouldn't have gone is 100%. At some point in your life, it's called sin. When you take yourself to a place you shouldn't go because you wanted to go, you gave in, you let your soul lead and your spirit got dragged there instead of listening to the spirit who is in your spirit and dwelling you to the place where you need to go. I feel, therefore, I lead is not the right place to go. So why does this happen? Why do we go to a place where we're like sheep that wander off to the greener pasture trying to find a place to fit in? Well, as one commentator said, one commentator said, the third thing about our soul, it is our soul that hungers and thirsts for the things of the flesh in order to satisfy our deepest desires. Hungers and thirsts. You know what happens when you're hungry? You feed. And in our brokenness, our, 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 our soul is longing for someone to go, hey, you're good enough. We're longing to feel security. We're longing enough to feel something. And I think this is best described by the Snickers commercials lately, right? You know what the Snickers commercials are lately? For those of you who don't know, good for you. You're not watching too much TV. I, I'm, those of you who know, shame on you. I'm just kidding. Um, the Snickers commercial goes like this, something like this. You're not you when you're hungry, Right? And that, I think that describes a lot of the people in the church. We're not ourselves who we should be when we're hungry. Anybody hangry in this room ever? I mean, you could be hangry right now. It's the third service. I get it. You know, some of you, I'm proud of you. Y'all, more hands went up in this admitting it than in the other two services combined. Good job. Um, when you're not hungry, you're going to be hangry. And when you're ha- hungry, you're going to—I know it's third service. You're hangry. Hey, you're going to do things that are, are sitting there going ridiculous. And here's the great thing about the Snickers commercial. It says, feed it a junk food candy bar. You're not yourself, so feed it junk and you'll get better. Isn't that how we live our lives? What do I need? I, 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 my soul is hungry. It's thirsting. I need a promotion. My soul is thung, hungry and thirsty. I need to be in a relationship. I don't care if they love Jesus or not. 
My soul is hungry or or thirsty, and so I'm going to go literally eat all this food. My soul is hungry or thirsty for... And so in that longing, we look down to the ground instead of looking up to the Spirit, and we wander off into bad, bad places. And ultimately, the problem with that is it never really satisfies. Revelation 18, 14 says this, the fruit for which you're so longed for has gone from you and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. In other words, this is the end of life, the end of time. He's sitting there going, the end of your life has come and everything that you thought that was important is now not important. Like ye who dies with the most toys still dies. Ye who dies with the biggest bank account leaves it to someone else because it's not yours. And that's a dangerous mentality. It's a dangerous place to be. We chase after things all the time that will not satisfy. One example are material things. Revelation 18, 11 through 13 says this, And the merchants of the, sh- the earth weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore. Now listen to this list. In, in the, this day and age, this was everything that if you were like a rich millionaire, you would have bought. Cargoes of gold, silver, jewel, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble. Hold on. Cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, and sheep, horses, chariots, and slaves. That is human souls. In other words, when you're longing for what you're longing for, you're going to go out and you're going to go and try to take things from other people and trying to satisfy your souls, even if you take their souls with you. Say, I would never do that. I would never own a slave. I understand that. But when you build your happiness off the use and misuse of other people, when you look at other people as pawns, as a part of the piece of your life to make you feel satisfied, then you are mistaken. What does this look like? I'm going to go someplace. Bear with me. Hear me. I'm, I'm, I'm going to come back and make it. Okay. Do you think the churches in Columbus, Ohio feel a little different than the churches in West Lafayette today? We won! <laughs> Suckers! They have souls too. They do, I promise. And we can sit there and we go, no, there's nothing wrong with a football game. We're going to get to that in a second. But our joy and our contentment and our souls should not be measured because they can be seen and observed by what happens to other souls. Because the result of that is you have to use the other souls to make your soul feel better. And when you do, it's like a Snickers bar that says it will satisfy you but doesn't actually do it. Things will not satisfy. Security will not satisfy. Matthew 6.25, Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life or your soul, what you will eat or drink, what you thirst or long for, or your body or what you wear. Isn't what you long for, thirst in life, your life more than food and more than body, more than clothing? We want security. We want people to find us. We want people to see us. We want friendships. We're trying to win at life. And in order to win at life, we feel like other people have to lose. And aren't we glad that isn't the answer? Your life 
isn't dependent on making other people to lose. Your life was to elevate all life and pointing them to the Savior of the world who came so that we all might know peace. Things will not satisfy us. Not the things, things not of God. Things that will not satisfy us are the things not of God. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from the sinful desires that wage war against your souls. What are some of the other things that wage wars against our souls? Oh, the list is endless. This last week, I had the privilege of listening. It's amazing how God does these things. I listen to sermons or I read a story, and it goes so well with what I'm preaching on. And I want to share um, an illustration by Matt Chandler today. And, and part of me hates doing that because I'm like, it's somebody else's illustration, God. I really want to come up with this myself. But then uh, it's not about me, so I'm going to share it with you anyways, okay? And Matt Chandler says, the problem with the American church today is we treat God like a Facebook friend. You know what a Facebook friend is? If you're not on Facebook, maybe you're on Instagram, maybe you're on Snapchat, maybe you tweet, I don't know. Uh, maybe you're on the one that I don't know yet because I'm 43 years old and I can't keep up with all that. But in, in that reality, which you look around and which you, the reality is we treat God like a Facebook friend. I have over 2,000 Facebook friends, I think. I haven't looked in a really long time. Because I've lived in four different states, I've had college students for 13 years, and they all started following me. And, but you know what? They're Facebook friends. I, they're not in my life. Now, can you imagine if all those friends suddenly said, hey, I'm coming over to your house for dinner tonight? <laughs> That's how I know they're not really my friends. Because I wouldn't want 2,000 people to come over to my house tonight, right? Amen? I, I just wouldn't. But a friend, by definition, in order to be a friend, has to actually be in your life, has to actually see the bad part of you, have to see the good part of you. They have to, to really be, and we treat God like a Facebook friend, like, oh, there's an inspirational moment, like, oh, I'm going to reshare this. This is a good blog. It's going to help me in one part of my life. And the problem is when you treat God like a Facebook friend, you treat God as a part of your life instead of inviting God in your life. And you can't be a follower of Jesus and have God just be a part of your life. How do I know that? It says that our souls need to be filled with the Spirit of God. Matthew 16, 24 to 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, those who are disciplining their lives, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his individual soul or life will lose it. But whoever loses his life or individual soul because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his soul? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his soul? And so as you're chasing after these things, it's saying if you don't lose your life and place your life, your, your soul, into the heart of what God made you to be, if you don't rest and allow the Holy Spirit to invade your spirit and thus guide and guard your soul down the path that will lead to a better place, then you are going to be miserable and you are never going to be satisfied because that pill you just swallowed ain't going to make it. It's not going to last. Some of you are more upset about my grammar right there than what I know. That's the reality. God can't be a social media follower. He's got to be in your life. So here's where you're made complete. Matthew 10, 39. Anyone who finds his life will lose it. And anyone who loses his life for me will find it. You see, what we chase after are felt needs. 
And felt needs are not bad. They're not. A felt need is, I'm hungry. I'm going to go eat. That's a felt need. A felt need is, I would really like Purdue to win. Nothing wrong with that. Until we confuse felt needs with ultimate needs. The ultimate need we have is 1 Peter 1, 8-9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. So now seeing him, you believe in him. And you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. Remember that word. Because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. See, what will save you and make you whole isn't that next carrot in front of your face. What's saving you isn't that, that reality of, if I could only get married. Because you know what happens when you get married and you think that person's going to satisfy all your needs and help you feel complete? You find you're marrying a person whose soul is broken, and they're expecting you to satisfy and make them complete. And when you don't do it, they get mad, and then they don't meet your complete. And then you end up having two people who are mad at each other because you were supposed to complete me, and you were supposed to complete me. Well, I'm not talking to you. Well, I'm not, you weren't made to complete each other. He was made to complete you. And as he completes you, then you have something to offer the other person. If you get those backwards, it will never, ever work. And everything that we have in our life has to be about understanding that Jesus is the way that we're made whole. Jesus is the way we're made complete. A felt need that is met without the undergirding of the story of Jesus, the gospel, the unconditional need that we have will never, ever satisfy you. And that's why we do things sometimes that the culture says you shouldn't do. We believe things sometimes the culture says we shouldn't believe. And yes, the church is full of hypocrites. We just recognize it. You know why the church is full of hypocrites? Because I'm prone to wander. <laughs> and here's the cool part. I'm prone to wander. You're prone to wander. And God still, what does it say there? Because he is the salvation of your souls. He is the overseer, as we just read. And so as I start to wander, he sits there and he goes, you're wandering, and he yanks me back, and he says, stay here. And I go, but I want to, ooh, this way. Oh, just kidding. I'm going to go back here. And I'm not going to let my soul dictate and mandate where I'm going. I'm going to discipline myself, trusting in God's truth, taking in his food, and allow myself to go where he wants me to go. And the result of that is I find joy. So why does our society struggle so much with this? Because we've allowed the impulses of our souls to lead us in the direction of our lives. We've allowed our culture to tell us where we should go. We've allowed our thoughts, our emotions, our personalities to tell us where we need to go instead of really trusting that God has a plan. And instead of trusting in His Word, instead of trusting in His truth, we rationalize our beliefs away. And then we're miserable. So here's the Monday morning application for the week. Don't feed your soul junk that will never satisfy it, feed it the truths of God. How do I know that we do this? Well, Matt Chandler in the same sermon said this. It's the difference in happiness and joy. Because happiness is always dependent on other souls' emotions. <laughs> always. 
So uh, my kids aren't behaving, I'm not happy, right? My wife isn't whatever, I'm not happy. My work isn't, I'm not happy. But joy is not dependent on other people's emotions. Uh, Paul described it like this, but when Paul was on a mission trip, his ship got wrecked. He was going around telling people about Jesus, his ship got wrecked. And that ship wrecked, a snake came out, a venomous snake, and bit him. Now, if I'm on a mission trip and a snake bites me after my plane has crashed, am I a happy person? No, he's like, that's okay. God's going to use this for his glory. And, and then he goes on and he describes how when Paul goes up and he's like, okay, now we're going to have to throw you in jail. And he goes, great. I'm glad you're going to throw me in jail because there's a whole lot of people in there who need to know that Jesus loves their souls and their spirit. And he's like, okay, well, we can't have that. So we're going to send you to, to, to Caesar or, or to, to the Rome. And he's like, great. I've been wanting to tell him that Jesus needs to be. And it's like, well, we're going to have to take your life. That's awesome because when you take my life, I get to spend forever with God rejoicing. And so the difference in happiness and joy is happiness goes, oh, life is hard. Joy goes, whatever comes my way, I have the joy because God's going to use the circumstances and the moments of my life to bring him glory. And when he gets glory, I find contentment because I was made to glorify him. That's awesome. So here's my question for you today. Are you really willing to die to your soul and allow the Spirit to lead your soul? It doesn't mean you lose your individuality. I'm still going to be a redheaded, grammatically struggling, occasionally pastor from Texas who loves puns despite my desire to get rid of that for my life. That's who I am. But God doesn't see me as that. He sees me as his beautiful creation, carefully knit together in, his, in my mother's womb. My fingerprints were carefully fashioned and my hairs were counted. And he looks into the depths of my soul he says, I love you. And I want to come live in your spirit and lead your soul to me. If you never have a relationship with Jesus, that's what salvation looks like. It's not having God be a part of your life. It's, it's having God in your life. For the sake of brevity and because I don't want to just run through this and have you think you understand it, I, I'm asking you, if not pleading with you, stop by the next step space or grab someone and say, talk me through this because I don't understand this, but I want you to know that God wants to save you. Is it possible you're here and you are not a Christian, but you think you are? Yeah. Because you treated God like a Facebook friend. You know all about him, but he's not in your life. You need to let him in. For the rest of us, God knew that we were going to be prone to wonder. He knew that. And when the disciples were gathered with them in the upper room, he had some bread and juice. It wasn't juice, it was wine. And he said, I want you to take this and remember every time you take it that my body was broken for you. And I want you to take this and every time you remember that my 
blood was poured out, that my blood was shed for you. Why? Because the things that you think will satisfy you will not satisfy you. But I am the bread of life, and he who comes by me will never hunger again. And I am the living water, and he who drinks of me will never thirst again. So we take this to remind ourselves that the only thing that will ever satisfy, the only thing that will ever make those hunger pains for someone to accept us to find value is Jesus. So today, would you bring your insecurities? We're going to do this a little different today. And in a sense, in an effort to take it all at once, we're going to pass the tray. We're going to ask that you hold these cups in your hand. As they come by, you're going to grab one. Underneath it is a gluten-free cracker. There's two cups in here, if you're wondering. And the top is filled with juice. And just hold them, and I'll tell you what we're going to do as we pass them. Okay, is that fair enough? We're going to take them together as a common unity at the same time when I instruct you. Uh, Parents, as always, it's up to you. Um, We ask that you participate if you have a relationship with Jesus, but parents, we're trusting with you that your kids, it's up to you, okay? So deacons, would you come forward and grab the trays, please? Father, we thank you for what you're doing in our life. And we ask right now, God, that in these moments, you would speak to us. Help us to bring our insecurities, our doubts to you that you would guard us and guide us. In your name we pray, amen. As these pass, um, take one out and then just spend a few moments saying, God, may you be my satisfaction. May you be my desire. Then we'll take them together.